Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, Minnesota's crackdown on distracted driving, the Minnesota moose population, and the Minnesota Twins play ball. But first... Two weeks ago, it was public safety, and this week, Democrats and Republicans at the Minnesota legislature officially drew battle lines on education and tax cuts as lawmakers continued wrangling over a $9 billion budget surplus before going on Passover and Easter break. Bill Werner is here with the report. Scott, Senate Republicans had already laid out their plan, permanent tax cuts and doing away with all state income tax on Social Security benefits, regardless of income. And this week brought the competing proposal from House Democrats targeting relief to low- and middle-income families, not giving it to millionaires and large corporations, as they warn Republicans would do. Tax Committee Chair Dilworth Democrat Paul Marquardt says under Democrats' plan... If you are a family of four... With one child from birth to four years of age, your first $88,000 of income is tax-free. And Marquardt says the first 132000 would have no state income tax for a family of four with two pre-K children. House Democrats also propose what they say is the largest property tax cut in decades by changing the renter's credit and beefing up the homeowner's credit to focus on incomes between $21,000 and $77,000. I think what senior citizens think about the most is How can I remain independent? How can I stay in my home that I've raised my family in and I still have Christmas and have the grandkids there? House Democrats also propose a $3.3 billion increase for E-12 education over the next four years, the focus on closing funding gaps in special education and English learner programs. Minneapolis Representative Jim Davney says that proposal also addresses student mental health. Number one concern, he says, they hear around Minnesota. We provide $475 million going forward to fund 1,100 new school support personnel in schools counselors, social workers, psychologists, and nurses. House Speaker Melissa Hortman says, by contrast... Minnesota Senate Republicans clearly believe our schools don't need much in the way of help. Republican Senator Roger Chamberlain from Lino Lakes responded after historic funding in last year's budget, quote, sending billions of dollars into more administration isn't the solution. Chamberlain says Senate Republicans' top priorities are reducing burdens and mandates, stabilizing classrooms, getting kids back in school, and addressing what he terms are failing test scores, noting that 40% of Minnesota children cannot read at their grade level. Republicans passed their permanent tax cut plan off the Senate floor in one of their last official actions before the break. Rochester Senator Carla Nelson said Minnesota has a nine-plus billion-dollar budget surplus and the rainy day fund is topped off, and so... Return that excess taxation to hard-working Minnesotans. Mendota Heights Democrat Matt Klein called Republicans' bill grossly unfair. Half a billion dollars is spent on the top 13% of earners every year in our state. Nelson responded under the GOP plan, those making over half a million dollars a year would only get a 1% tax cut. 
while those making under $30,000 would pay no state income tax, and up to $56,000 would see their state income taxes cut by over half. Republicans' bill would also eliminate state income tax on Social Security benefits, regardless of income. Rochester Senator Nelson calls the current system double taxation. Minnesotans bought those benefits year after year, paycheck after paycheck, when they paid those Social Security taxes. Dilworth Representative Marquardt says House Democrats... We say if your income is less than $75,000, you won't pay a dime in Social Security benefit taxes. But Democrats say well-to-do Minnesotans can more than afford to pay state income tax on their Social Security benefits so that there is more money for schools and other important investments. And speaking of schools, the Education Minnesota Teachers Union said this week, Senate Republicans' plan for permanent tax cuts favors the wealthy and, quote, would leave the state without enough resources to provide students with all the academic and emotional support they need to succeed. It highlights what has become a perennial gulf between Republicans and Democrats back in full force this year because of that record state budget surplus. Senator Tom Bach, independent from Cook in northern Minnesota, spotlighted the problem. Our school system's got to take a look at why are so many parents pulling their kids out of the public school system? And it's hurting the public school system because with everyone kind of on average, it's about $10,000. That's in lost state funding. Republicans argue do not pour more money into schools without proven measures to improve student outcomes and use a large chunk of the budget surplus for permanent tax cuts for Minnesotans. Democrats say that will benefit the wealthy, sapping tax breaks for working families and taking badly needed money from schools. Also this week, just before going on break, the Minnesota House and Senate approved an additional $1 million for avian flu response, sending that bill to the desk of Governor Tim Walz. Republican Senator Tory Westrom from Elbow Lake pointing to the number of infections in Minnesota. This figure as of last Thursday morning. 21 farms across our state and over a million birds. In less than a week, it's doubled. Support for that measure nearly unanimous in the House. It was unanimous in the Senate. St. Paul Democrat Aaron Murphy. We need to move as swiftly as the infection to make sure that we're supporting our farmers. And history made this week. On this vote, the yeas are 53, the nays are 47, and this nomination is confirmed. Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson becomes the first black woman to serve on the United States Supreme Court. Senator Amy Klobuchar voted yes, as did Senator Tina Smith. As I looked around the floor of the Senate as we were uh, waiting for the final vote to be tallied, there were more than a few of us that were wiping uh, tears of joy away from our eyes. It was a wonderful day. Before that vote, Senate Republican Minority Leader Mitch McConnell called Jackson a liberal judicial activist, suggesting she's gone soft on crime. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives. Who are we? We're your neighbors, co-workers, and friends. That's right, we live and work in the community, too. Because of that, we're committed to making sure our electric services stay reliable, affordable, and safe. Throughout the state, Minnesota electric co-ops work independent of each other, but with the same goal, provide power to Minnesota. You have so many other things to worry about. Your electricity isn't one of them. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives, bringing power to the people of Minnesota. We asked kids what it took to be a dad. This is what they had to say. A father is always present. I mean, what what real father figure can you have if they're not there? In order to be a good dad, you need to love 
love your son. You need to put gas in your car so you don't break down in the middle of nowhere. And you need to make some breakfast. Yep. I mean, just to maybe um, play, like, a board game with me or to just stay home and play um, some video games with me. Just to do, like, that one little thing is what I really look forward to. I'm not asking him to be a perfect dad, but he should try. He's just a constant force in my life. There's no other type of love like a dad's love because it's not comparable to anything else. Take time to be a dad today. Call 877-4DAD411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. A statewide and nationwide crackdown on distracted driving is underway this month. I recently spoke with Mike Hansen with the Minnesota Office of Traffic Safety about why we all need to put away the distractions. Uh, Scott, you know, because distracted driving continues to be a huge challenge on Minnesota roads. And the campaign uh, that you mentioned, it's not just in Minnesota. This is a national campaign, and it's coordinated through the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. And uh, the states that receive that federal traffic safety funding will all be participating in it. Um, and while we've made some, some good strides, some positive strides in Minnesota when it comes to distracted driving, um, and, uh, you know, it as a causal factor in life-changing injuries or fatalities, um, we still have a long ways to go. Um, it, you know, somewhere between 25 and 30 people a year are still being killed on Minnesota roads by a completely preventable act, which is somebody distracted behind the wheel. And so as we do with all of these campaigns, um, we, we want Minnesotans to know we're going to be out there. We're providing extra resources for our law, law enforcement partners. We're also, you know, we've got a media campaign going. We're tr- just trying to raise awareness, especially as we get into the spring and then into those busy summer months, um, and get everybody to redevelop those safe habits behind the wheel. And driving is a complex task, and it requires all of our attention, and that's what we're asking everybody to do. Obviously, we had a, a hands-free log uh, come into existence within the last couple of years here, the goal to try to cut down on uh, crashes and deaths. Are we seeing that have an impact? We are. We're seeing you know, a decrease, as I said, in the number of, of uh, you know, critical injuries and fatalities that are occurring as a result of a distracted driver. And I have to put a little bit of an asterisk with that because distraction for law enforcement officers can be one of those things that's very difficult to investigate and difficult to prove. But when we look at the statistical numbers, we have uh, seen a decrease in those that are attributed to uh, distraction. But we still have far too many drivers who are doing far too many things behind the wheel that they shouldn't be. You know, I talk to our law enforcement partners uh, out there all the time, and certainly, yeah, we're still seeing issues with our uh, cell phones and electronic devices. But, um, you know, a pet in the vehicle can be distracting. A cheeseburger can be distracting. Trying to brush your teeth, trying to put on makeup, trying to comb your hair, trying to change the radio station, trying to change the climate controls. You know, it's not like the old days where all you had to do was, was push a button or move a lever. Now you have to interact with a screen, and and all of these things take our attention away from what the driver should be paying attention to, which is what's going on on the road in front of them and around them. And so we we need to recondition ourselves to 
focus on that critical driving task and minimize or eliminate any of those distractions that we can. Mike, I know that uh, it, it can vary depending on what the infraction is, but what can somebody who gets pulled over for distracted driving expect uh, to receive in terms of any, uh, any sort of punishment or fines or anything like that? Oh, you bet. Well, first of all, let's talk about the hands-free law. Um, anybody who does violate that hands-free law by having that electronic device in their hand or manipulating it in any way other than by voice activation or single touch, Again, the only way you can interact with your electronic devices legally is it's not in your hand and you're using voice activation or a single touch. Um, a violation of the hands-free law, uh, the first uh, time around, that fine is going to be, you know, $120, $130, depending on, on the county that you're in and the various surcharges. But it's one of those rare traffic violations that escalates with the second and subsequent offenses. And those fines are over $300 for those second and subsequent events. Now, if somebody is distracted by something else um, and they're not doing a good job with that driving task and are observed by law enforcement, then we have the laws uh, that are, uh, fall under that due care uh, uh, section of the uh, traffic code. Basically, this requires a driver to be aware of and to, uh, to be driving appropriately for the existing road, weather, and traffic conditions around them. If they're doing something, reading, you know, like I said, any of the things I mentioned before um, that takes their attention away from that, um, they can be cited for a violation of the due care law. And that one, again, is going to involve, you know, $120, $130, fine. Um, and it's going to go on the record and affect their insurance rates, as would a hands-free violation. So it's not something to be taken lightly. I, I, I know for me, uh, any of those citations, would they'd hurt. And you know, nobody wants to be on the receiving end of one, but everybody can control that by not doing those behaviors. And if I am to believe what I am told, Minnesota is supposed to have a spring season. If that does actually happen, uh, it's also construction season. So we're going to have a lot more workers out on the roads, too, and that makes it all the more important for drivers to pay attention. Well, you're absolutely right, because there's nothing more challenging for a driver to negotiate than some of the work zones. And quite honestly, with the increases that Minnesota will be realizing as a result of the new U.S. Uh, Transportation Act, as well as the Infrastructure and Jobs Act, you're going to see more and larger construction zones that are taking place on Minnesota roads. And, you know, that, it's critical. It's all about maintaining our infrastructure. But maintaining our infrastructure means we're going to have work zones. Work zones mean um, that, that that is absolutely the time where every bit of your attention needs to be focused on what's going on around you. You're driving through somebody's office, those, those folks with the, the contractors and the MnDOT people and the county engineers and the city engineers that are out there uh, working on those projects. That is their office. And as often as not, the only thing standing between them and somebody going by at 40, 50, or 60 miles an hour is a cone or a barrel. And so we owe those folks our respect, and that means we pay attention and we drive safely through those, through those offices. Thank you to my guest, Mike Hansen, with the Minnesota Office of Traffic Safety. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back. 
Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. For the 11th year in a row, Minnesota's moose population remains relatively stable. This week, Tasha Radel visited with Glenn Del Jadis, the DNR's moose project leader. Well, Glenn wanted to visit with you. Um, I know according to a, uh, some new information that came out from the DNR that it's looking like uh, for the 11th year in a row, the state's moose population uh, is looking relatively stable. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, um, all of these wildlife surveys um, have a, a significant amount of imprecision or uncertainty associated with them, so that even with a, an animal like a moose, a very large, dark moose, uh, that we're surveying on a snowy white background, um, you can't expect to uh, count all the animals uh, as you do as you fly these transects on these survey plots. You know, you're you're not going to see them all. Um, so sometimes you're going to, uh, you know, miss some due to, you know, it could be weather factors, habitat, uh, their behavior, all kinds of things. Um, but um, so so we uh, start. We revised our survey approach uh, starting in 2005, and it really is probably one of the best, if not the best, annual moose survey in North America. Now and we went from using fixed-wing aircraft to two helicopters, which are much more effective for these kinds of surveys. Um, we went; uh, much of it is computerized now in the helicopter for recording data and following our flight path on flight lines right on the computer, so we know exactly where we are and when we sight moose where they are. It's all, you know, uh, in inputted right into the computer uh, automatically. Um, and we use, very importantly, we use the same personnel every year as much as possible. I mean, that went on for nearly 20 years or better. And then with retirement, you have to replace some uh, with new observers. But the more, the more you can standardize your approach, both technic technologically, uh, with your personnel, with uh, your analytics, you know, your analytical approach to analyzing the data, et cetera, uh, the better and the more comparable the data from one year to the next. So, you know, as you know, the population gradually started to decrease from uh, 2006, uh, 2005 and 2006 to 2009, not statistically significantly, but, but it was apparent. And then, but then from 2009 to 2012, it experienced a precipitous decline in the Northeast. And, um, it, uh, and then from 2012, to the present, as you had indicated, it has remained fairly stable. Um, when we when we actually look at the population in more uh, in in some fairly sophisticated models, it shows that it might still up to up to this year anyway it might still have been decreasing ever so subtly. Um, uh, but uh, now this year, as you know from our report and our press release, the population was estimated at 4,700. And that compares to 3150 last year, um, and our not only has the population appeared uh, or our estimate appeared to be higher, um, but uh, the number of calves uh, estimated also appears to have increased. Again, th these are not statistical increases, but they're they're apparent, very apparent increases. So our calf cow ratio, calves per hundred cows estimated. Um, is the highest it's been, it's 0 
which is the highest it's been since 2005, which is really good. That's a really good sign. All right. Well, lots of great information, Glenn, and I'm just glad we connected, and thank you so much for your time. Oh, you're welcome. You're very welcome. That's DNR Moose Project leader Glenn Del-Jadis, along with MNN's Tasha Radel. Minnesota Matters returns after this. We asked kids what it took to be a dad. This is what they had to say. A father is always present. I mean, what father, What real father figure can you have if they're not there? In order to be a good dad, you need to love, love your son. You need to put gas in your car so you don't break down in the middle of nowhere. And you need to make them breakfast. Yep. I mean, just to maybe um, play, like, a board game with me or to just stay home and play um, some video games with me. Just to do, like, that one little thing is what I really look forward to. I'm not asking him to be a perfect dad, but he should try. He's just a constant force in my life. There's no other type of love like a dad's love because it's not comparable to anything else. Take time to be a dad today. Call 877-4DAD411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. We're gonna win twins, we're gonna score. We're gonna win twins, watch that baseball Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The Minnesota Twins open the regular season this week with a few new additions to Target Field. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm spoke with Twins President and CEO Dave St. Peter about some of those things. Well, exciting time, certainly. The start of the twin season is upon us, and a few new things at Target Field. It seems every year there's uh, something that has been added, and this is a really special addition this year. Dave St. Peter, Twins president, joins us and tells us a little bit about the uh, sensory suite, which is, uh, which is brand new and really cool. Yeah, we're excited about the partnership with United Healthcare. You know, uh, fans of the Minnesota Twins, uh, you know, span far and wide, and um, so many fans that, that, that maybe deal with some little type of uh, circumstance in their life, maybe uh, have a hard time coming into a major stadium like this and have an opportunity to spread out and, and, and enjoy a game. And the United Healthcare Sensory Suite gives us an opportunity to host those fans. Could be a young fan with autism, could be a fan with Down syndrome, could be a fan with dementia, a host of other potential um, um, issues. Uh, the United Healthcare Sensory Suite is all aimed at giving them a safe place, uh, a place to be themselves a place to enjoy Twins baseball. We couldn't be more proud to have the best one in baseball right here in Minneapolis at Target Field. It is really neat, too, in the sense that there are so many things involved with it. As hard as it might be in terms of a virtual tour and a radio interview, tell our fans, kind of take us through the suite, if you could, with the different aspects and offerings that uh, that people can, can have that, that have special needs, as you mentioned. Well, the most important thing is it has a great view to the field, right? So I think that's what really sets it apart from other sensory uh, suites or rooms of, of this nature around sports. You know, beyond that, it's it's been designed by experts, by professionals. So we have a, a, an interior room that's kind of geared at kids, an interior room that's geared at adults. Uh, beyond that, uh, Frazier, uh, um, a local nonprofit that really specializes in this work, um, is, is integrated into the suite and is really working to train uh, upwards of about 120 Twins Guest Services staff uh, to be able to be better equipped in, in, in really managing that space and dealing with the individuals that are going to be using that space. So we think we got a great program. It doesn't happen without United Healthcare, and we couldn't be more thrilled. 
Yeah, you mentioned that training for uh, some of the workers here at Target Field, and that that expands outside the suite area as well, right? For just the general uh, population of fans that may come and may may also have a special need. Yeah, I I, th I think that's right, Mike. There's going to be a big benefit to that training because our guest services group in general. Um, will be now, uh, uh, I think, trained at a, at a different level around really understanding some of those special needs that that uh, so many of our fans uh, uh, deal with. So uh, that's an incremental benefit. I really give the people at Frazier the credit for that and so many of our staff who really signed up for the training and wanting to find a way to, to be maybe better adept uh, at dealing with, uh, with every fan that comes into the ballpark. I know the organization in general takes a uh, takes pride in the progressiveness, I guess, in terms of, of things to make everybody feel more included and also just a better experience. And this, I think, falls in line with that general attitude? Yeah, I think so. I think it's rooted in inclusion. You know, you always want to make sure the ballpark uh, is known for being as accessible as it possibly could be. And I think we've done a, a good job of that in the first 12 years. But... The Sensory Suite actually represents a, a, a new gateway, a, a new uh, door that opens to, a, to maybe a group of fans uh, and their families that maybe otherwise wouldn't be comfortable coming to the ballpark. So um, I, I think it's always good to reach higher and to push farther, and that's what the United Healthcare Sensory Suite does for the Twins. As the season opens this week, are there some other things around the ballpark uh, itself that people might notice? Yeah, we, uh, we actually are, uh, made a significant investment along with Delaware North in a brand new concessions area uh, at, at Section 126. We call it the market. I think it's kind of the future of general concessions, much more of a grab-and-go. Um, in addition to that, we uh, the fans won't notice this as much, but we invested with the Minnesota Ballpark Authority on an entirely new uh, technology infrastructure that powers all the, the video boards in the ballpark. And uh, that's a precursor to 2023 when we'll have all new video boards in the ballpark. So that's about a $30 million project. And then lastly, the playing field. Uh, obviously, we played a hockey game here on January 1, and um, our playing field uh, bared the brunt of that. Uh, Larry DeVito and our, our grounds crew have done a wonderful job the last three weeks in installing and prepping a brand-new playing field uh, for the 2022 season. And uh, that grass looks as green as, uh, as, as, uh, as your lawn might in, in July. But um, we're excited about that as well. Well, certainly we're excited to get the season started. I also noticed there's uh, some new food offerings that fans might uh, enjoy uh, when they come to the ballpark this year. Yeah, food and beverage always plays a central role in the game day experience. 2022 is no different. I think it's more special because of coming off of the last two years of COVID. We were limited on what we were able to do concessions-wise. Now it's uh, we, we not only doubled down, we tripled down brought back all the classic favorites that you've experienced at Target Field, whether it be Kamarchik's or Red Cow or Hot Indian Foods or um, uh, Turkey to Go. But now we're today we're introducing uh, a, a series of brand new food and beverage options, all of which are local, uh, fair, uh, big Minnesota brands. And I, I think it's going to take the food and beverage experience here to a whole new level. On the field, a couple of off-season signings, a couple of trades, and I know you're excited about to seeing how uh, this team fares as we get going here. Yeah, we, we really are. Uh, we had a goal going into the off-season to, to, to flush 2021, to put our team back in a position to compete for the American League Central. We think we've done that. The addition of Carlos Correa, uh, the addition of uh, Sonny Gray, um, the re-signing of Byron Buxton, um, and I know we're looking to continue to add pitching in the days to come. So. I'm very optimistic that the team on the field is one that fans will be proud of, 
and a team that's going to be relevant, not just through the summer, but hopefully playing deep into the fall. So good to be back out at the ballpark, right? Nothing uh, like it. Uh, we can't wait for opening day. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. That's Twins President Dave St. Peter and MN Sports Director Mike Grimm. That's going to do it for us for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.